My name is Ben Verhulst. I'm an elder here and an intern this summer, and I'm uh, doing some of the preaching. So uh, there are a lot of new people here. I hope that you will not be too turned off by a novice preacher. Um, give, it, give us a little patience. Um, we are doing a series this summer on previews of the Christ, uh, looking at what the Old Testament uh, tells us about Jesus and who he is and, and what he does. Uh, last week, we saw how uh, Jesus was obedient in the way that Adam was supposed to be obedient, um, how he, Jesus is the, tr- the true Adam, the Adam who um, we need. And this week, we're going to look at Joseph, um, who shows us something different about Christ's work. So let's go to our text this morning. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask that you uh, move in this place, uh, speak to our hearts, that we may come to know you better. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. There are some things that you can only say when you've reached the end of the story. Uh, Something that I have experienced in my life uh, every few years, it seems, I run into something where I don't know how the story is going to end. I don't know how the story is going to play out from there. And I I start to get anxious. Um, And looking back, I can look back on all of these successive times where I have gone through this and God has brought me through. God always had a plan. And yet every time I encounter it again, I still get that anxiety. I still struggle with that. We need to sometimes look back from the end of the story before we can really see what's going on. And hopefully, if all is going well, we can actually look back on previous stories and they can inform our our new story, the new uh, issue that we are encountering. But Joseph here is at the end of his story, and he's looking back. And, and this is what he says about his story. So let's first start with Joseph's story. Where did Joseph come from? Well, 
Joseph was uh, an interesting child. Um, sometimes we say that Joseph was a dreamer because he had some dreams, but he didn't always deal very tactfully with those dreams. And uh, combined with his father's favoritism of him, he really made enemies of his brothers. And uh, eventually, it reached a point where Joseph's brothers thought it would be better for Joseph to be dead. And they threw him in a pit and actually sold him to slavers instead of killing him. And Joseph was enslaved, enslaved in Egypt. And out of the pit, he rose to this uh, impressive status in the household of Potiphar, who was an Egyptian official. Uh, but once he had reached this high status in Potiphar's house, he again was thrown back into the pit, this time as the result of a false allegation by Potiphar's wife. In the prison, he interprets uh, the dreams of some prisoners, and that eventually leads to his release uh, into Pharaoh's court, where he interprets Pharaoh's dream, and again is raised to a very high position. And in this position, he's able to save uh, Egypt and the surrounding region uh, during a famine that they go through. Joseph's brothers are part of this region and end up coming to Egypt because they need to buy grain. And Joseph uh, meets with them, interacts with them, and uh, eventually reveals himself as their brother. And they come down with their father and live in, in Joseph's land, essentially. Joseph is, is the second in charge of Egypt, um, and the brothers are uh, blessed enormously by Joseph's success. But when Joseph's father dies, when Jacob dies, these brothers realize uh, that they have a very powerful enemy or a potential enemy. See, Joseph has never paid them back for what they did to him. And they realize now that their father is dead, uh, Joseph maybe doesn't have any more reason uh, not to pay them back. And so that's where we come to in our text. Um, Joseph's brothers come to him really with a plea, and, and we don't know that Jacob actually said this, but Joseph's brothers are are trading on their father, on their father's reputation here, to try to get Joseph um, to bless them. So first, I think there are a couple really important points in our text that we need to address. Um, the first is what Joseph says here about God's sovereignty, okay? Joseph says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, we're a Reformed church, and probably one of the most common caricatures of Reformed theology is that we don't believe in free will. Um, and, and that's not what our text says here this morning. Our text talks about Joseph's brothers and, and what they chose to do. They meant evil against Joseph. We, we do not believe that humans are incapable of making choices, even choices that conflict with what God has um, commanded us. Joseph's brothers did choose to do evil, but 
Scripture also affirms here that God meant it for good. God is in control, and we are responsible for our own evil actions. The Belgic Confession addresses this um, pretty significantly. God, God being in control is a very, very important point of the Christian faith. Um, I wanted to find a snippet of the Belgic Confession article that talks about God's providence, and I couldn't. I just kept reading and thinking, yeah, I need, we need to talk about that too. We need that. We need that. So bear with me a little bit here, okay? This is what the Belgic Confession says. We believe that this good God, after creating all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will, in such a way that nothing happens in this world without God's orderly arrangement. Yet, God is, God is not the author of and cannot be charged with the sin that occurs. For God's power and goodness are so great and comprehensible that God arranges and does his works very well and justly, even when the devils and the wicked act unjustly. That's directly out of our text this morning. We do not wish to inquire with undue curiosity into what God does that surpasses human understanding and is beyond our ability to comprehend. There's a mystery here. But in all humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, being content to be Christ's disciples, so as to learn only what God shows us in his word without going beyond these limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable comfort since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious Heavenly Father, who watches over us with fatherly care, sustaining all creatures under his lordship, so that not one of the hairs of our heads, for they are all numbered, nor even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our Father. In this thought we rest, knowing that God holds in check the devils and all our enemies who cannot hurt us without divine permission and will. I've talked about my kids before, um, but in parenting them, I'm constantly convicted of my own sins. I see them um, not or failing to trust that I know what is good for them, failing to trust that I will take care of them, right? That's, so many tears have been shed because my boys don't think that I'm going to feed them. Um, <laughs> and, and I just realized that is me, right? I struggle every day with the idea that God is going to take care of me that God is going to give me what I need. And, and what, this, what this article of the confession tells us is that God does. He is our Father. He will take care of us. He knows what is best for us. The second thing that I think we see in this text, and this is something that I think is easy to overlook, um, God does take sin and evil seriously. Um, I think 
it's easy to read this text and say, oh, Joseph, Joseph is giving his brothers a free pass for what happened. And that's not what Joseph says. Joseph says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? What Joseph is confirming here is that he is not going to take, take it out on his brothers. He is not going to return evil for evil. But what he is also saying implicitly here is that God is the judge of evil. I am not in the place of God. I will not return evil for evil. But God is a judge who judges justly. And in fact, it's that knowledge, it's that knowledge that God is going to judge that allows Joseph to forgive and allows us to forgive. All right, so let's now look back on Joseph's story from the viewpoint of our text, with the end of the story in mind. Joseph now can look back, recognizing what God has done. And he can, he can say these things about his story. In, in this recognition is the recognition that God allows his people to suffer evil. God allows his people to go into the pit. In fact, Joseph went into the pit twice. Sometimes this is due to the sin and evil of other people. In, this ca- in Joseph's case, Potiphar, or Potiphar's wife, Joseph's brothers. It's also sometimes due to our own sin. We see that in other places in Scripture. Um, Hezekiah, we also see it a little bit with Joseph, um, at least his foolishness. But there's a pattern throughout Scripture. God does allow his people to suffer evil. Now, how, how is this good news? How is it good news that God allows us to suffer evil? Well, I think there's two important things that we can take away here. One is that evil has not triumphed when we suffer evil. Just because we are experiencing suffering, we are experiencing the pit, does not mean that God has failed. It does not mean that God has lost control of the car and we are careening out of control. That would be terrifying. The other thing is that God uses the pit. God is in control when he takes us in and he will take us out. The Heidelberg Catechism also addresses God's providence, but it asks this question, how does the knowledge of God's providence help us? And this is its answer, at least the beginning. We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. We can be patient when things go against us, and thankful when things go well. Even in the pit, we can have that confidence. The second thing that Joseph can see looking back is that God worked greater good through the pit than the evil of the pit. There was evil, right? Joseph did suffer. But God 
meant it for good. This is what Joseph says. God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Looking back from the end of the story, Joseph can see that God had a plan. And that, I'll I'll be honest with you, that plan is not always as visible as it is for Joseph. We will not always be able to see the, the plan, but we can trust that there is one. That's what Joseph, Joseph's able to see that, and we can take that in faith. So, I think the third thing we need to see, though, and I mentioned this earlier, is that God does lift his people out of the pit. This isn't unique to Joseph's story. God lifted Joseph out both times, but in our sacred reading this morning, we saw David's testimony of being lifted out of the pit. Um, In Isaiah 38, we read Hezekiah's prayer, um, and he prays about being lifted out of the pit. Let me read from Isaiah 38. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. That's kind of the way that God works. He lifts his people out of the pit. We could actually say that this is God's MO. Tom Cruise makes action movies. God rescues his people from the pit. It's a pattern that we can trust in. So what does the story of Joseph tell us about Jesus? Well, there's a lot of um, foreshadowing here, right? Joseph is rejected by his brothers. Jesus is rejected by his brothers. Joseph is falsely accused and punished based on that. Jesus is falsely accused. But I think on a larger scale, we can see um, the method that God uses here. Jesus goes into the pit. It's, It's not according to our way of thinking that God would send his choice redeemer to death, into the grave. But I think we see in Joseph's story that this is a pattern that God uses. God uses pits. God allows his people to go into the pit to do great good through them. And through the the pit in which Jesus was buried, God didn't just save many people from starvation. He saved the whole creation from sin and death. And God lifted Jesus up not to sit at Pharaoh's right hand, but to sit at the Father's right hand in heaven. But there's also a bigger theme that is introduced here that I want to mention. Um, Last week we talked about how Adam is a type of Christ in, in that Christ had to come and do the work that Adam was supposed to do. Essentially, God had to rewrite Adam's story anew with Jesus. And that's not, how, that's not how Joseph is handled, right? God doesn't have to rewrite Joseph's story. But since Genesis 3, there is an issue with all of creation. All of creation is in the pit. And this story doesn't resolve that tension. In fact, if you just read a little bit further, um, this is the last chapter of Genesis. If you start reading Exodus 1, 
Um, there comes verse 8, and it says, uh, there came a Pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph. And that Pharaoh begins enslaving Israel, killing Israelite children, that kind of thing. The problem with Joseph, he is not a moral failing or a, um, something that doesn't work out. Actually, it's an incredible act of God. We see this hero of heroes and this incredible work of God's power, but it doesn't last. It doesn't save God's creation from the pit. It's just a few verses later, and we're already back in trouble. The story ends with us still in the pit. And to resolve that tension, we're going to need something more significant. We're going to need some, someone more powerful than Joseph. That is the tension that is really introduced in Genesis, but keeps coming up. And I think you're going to see that over and over in this series, is that even the most faithful of the, of the heroes of the Old Testament do not resolve this tension. We are still a broken creation, and we need salvation. Tim Keller talks about how Christmas is often kind of a feel-good season, right? Christmas is the time of goodwill and peace on earth and everyone getting together. And that's not necessarily how Scripture um, understands uh, Christmas. In fact, Tim Keller says the message of Christmas is that we were screwed up so badly that God had to come down himself to rescue us. We couldn't actually be saved by even heroes like Joseph, even heroes like David. We needed something more, and that something had to be Jesus. It had to be God incarnate. God had to come down into the pit with us to rescue us. And that, as we go into the New Testament, we are able to see that that is what happened, right? We can look back from the end of the story and see that this story of Joseph is not the end. This story of Joseph is a foreshadowing of a greater salvation, a greater lifting out of the pit from the pit into glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you came into our pit and you lifted us out. Not because we deserved it, not because we were righteous, but because it was your pleasure to save all of creation and to lift us on to, into glory. And we thank you so much for that, that grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.